Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? In 1882, the great German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche made the controversial claim, God is dead. Has God been killed by his strongest opponents? In this series of Logos Live, God versus the World, we tackle some of the big objections to belief in God today. And today's objection is a little less obvious. Money. I don't need you, God, because I have all this stuff. And we're privileged to have Luke Nelson from City on a Hill join us. Now, Luke has worked as a graphic designer and has worked for City on a Hill for several years. And he's now lead pastor of City on a Hill West, a church which meets in Maribyrnong. Please welcome Luke Nelson. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's it's great that you can join us here today. Mm. We do try to have a little bit of fun here on Logos Live. It's not a a sin as far as I'm aware to laugh. Um, Okay, good. So I thought I'd test you with this short little quiz. How much is it? Now, I've scoured the catalogs that appear in my letterbox and done a quick internet search to find three everyday items. Now, I'll describe the item, and you have to tell me how much is it. Okay, sounds good. The world's most expensive sunglasses are Chopard Derigo Vision sunglasses. Now, these sunglasses, the the tip ends are made from 60 grams of 24-karat gold, while the arms of the glasses are trimmed with dotted gold. The company's signature C is swirled on the temple of the frame and surrounded by 51 full-cut river diamonds totaling four carats. It's just a steal at how many US dollars? How much is it? What will you say? Golly. Well, first of all, I'm glad that my wife doesn't have them because she's always losing her sunglasses. Right, yes. Um, yeah. I'm gonna you don't say, want to lose these ones. Uh, I, I don't even know anything about gold, so I can't even <laughs> measure it. I've seen so little of it. Uh, let's say 50 grand. 50 grand, Okay. You're nowhere near it. Does anyone anyone <laughs> want to have a guess? Anyone in the audience have a guess? How much these sunglasses are? Yeah. I'll say five hundred. Five hundred. Five hundred thousand. Not five hundred dollars. Five hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The answer is four hundred and eight thousand ah, right. dollars for a set. Of, sorry, wow. you don't you don't happen to have a pair, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how would you feel wearing a pair of sunglasses that cost as much as a house? That's insane. You don't want to lose them, I suppose. No, you you wouldn't. No, no, you don't want to put them in the back pocket Mm. and accidentally... How do you go to the bank and say, I need a loan for some sunglasses? I think if you need to get a loan (laughs) to get these sunglasses, you're you're, you're not (laughs) not the kind of person to buy them. Okay, this is something that we all need. The world's most expensive iPhone case. Mm -hmm. The spider and dragon case from Anita Maytan is made of 18 karat white gold and embedded with real diamonds for a total weight of 32 carats. It features a dragon that clings ferociously to the back of the case. It might be hard to keep your phone in your pocket, but you might not be leaving this in your pocket because it costs just how much? US dollars? Gosh, 150,000. Okay, 150,000. 150, no one near it. Does anyone oh, want to say, any, any, anyone from our audience want to have I'm a going guess? Higher. How much? A million. You're very close. $880,000 for an iPhone case. Yeah, it's very difficult to get your expression on a recording there. Uh, But you wouldn't want Apple to change the size of the phone. No, that's right. right. Finally, the world's... You'd almost need a protector for the protector. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's called a machine gun. I think it's some sort of weapon. Okay, finally, the world's most expensive shoelaces. Mm -hmm. Something that we all need. They are gold shoelaces by Mr. Kennedy. Only 10 such shoelaces will be made and feature pure, hand-woven, 24-karat gold. 
They are the world's only precious metal shoelaces. They even come with a lifetime warranty to the original purchaser. How much would you pay for gold shoelaces? Well, I'm clearly always too uh, conservative, so I'm going to say 500 grand. Okay, right. Okay, well, that's a. Anyone want to guess? And you're, you're miles wrong. You know, you know, you're nowhere near 500,000. Anyone want to guess from our live audience? Something around $19,000, perhaps? Um, 19,000. Although I did see adverti- another store advertising for just $15,000. Oh, right. So it does okay. pay to shop around. Yeah. So, Luke, unfortunately, you know how I'm much is a quiz? That, yeah. You, yeah, you got. You kind of got them mixed, mixed up. You just as well, I'm not on the uh, antiques yeah. roadshow. Exactly right, yeah. So anyway, but please thank Luke for at least sort of attempting, attempting. the questions at least. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Luke, these are just trivial examples, but in some ways they speak to our culture and of, of who we are. But have you ever bought anything kind of crazy like gold shoelaces <laughs> or anything like that? Or any so cra- anything so crazy well, like that? Well, probably one of the dumbest purchases I ever had was I've been watching the Tour de France. And I thought, oh, this cycling business sounds pretty fun. So I got a bike and then uh, I bought the shoes, the special clip shoes. Yep, yep. Uh, that was about $400 yep. and I didn't wear them once. And in fact, right. I can't even sell them now because I've lost one of the clips. <laughs> so <laughs> a waste. Right. So what do you think therefore drives people to buy sunglasses that cost the same as a house or an iPhone case? that cost the same as two pairs of sunglasses. Mm. First what, what do you think drives some people to do that? Well, I'd probably say insanity at first with those particular examples. No. Um, I think there is a sense where we imagine that what we buy will give us the kind of happiness and satisfaction and the fulfilment, um, maybe security uh, that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want stuff to make us feel confident yeah. and uh, happy. Is, that a, is there a problem with that, though? Yeah, well, I mean, I look it around and... and and I feel like the things that we um, we seek, the things that we spend our money on, don't actually really deliver. Uh, so, for instance, take security. Uh, I think we imagine if we have lots of money or if we have the best security system or something, we'll f- and that costs money, then we'll feel secure. But it doesn't actually really work. I remember when I was growing up, um, the Geelong uh, Pyramid Building Society collapsed. And, and you just see on the TV, uh, all of these people lost all of their life savings. Or you think about the GFC a few years back and, and everyone just losing everything just like that in a moment. So it doesn't even provide that sense of security that, that people are, are looking for. And I don't think it really provides the kind of happiness either. I remember reading this fascinating article about the world's richest people and just how incredibly competitive and unhappy they are. They're just constantly competing with the Joneses or the Sheikhs and and they're just not happy. So I don't think it actually delivers. Social commentator Clive Hamilton uh, wrote a book called Affluenza and in it he writes, the Western world is in the grip of a consumption binge that is unique in human history. We aspire to the lifestyles of the rich and famous at the cost of family, friends, and personal fulfillment. Rates of stress, depression, and obesity are up as we wrestle with the emptiness and endless disappointments of the consumer life. Mm. Do you agree with Clive? Are we in the grip of a consumption binge? Yeah, I mean, I think as Australians, we are very concerned about what we have. Uh, I live out in the suburbs and not far from me, you just go along these these roads and there's a million shops that are all about Bunnings and your furniture and, and the devices that you're going to fill your house with and you can go to a display home. It's all about uh, what we have and, and we imagine that that is the comfort that we're going to find. And, and those places, they, they are just so popular because everyone wants that stuff. We want the house and we want to fill it. And um, 
it just seems to be what we're all on about. It seems to be at the driving force in so much of Australia. Well, the scriptures, the, the Logos, speaks a lot about money mm. and consumption. And the passage that we're looking at today is in Logos Live, we meet someone in the ancient world who somewhat adopted this consumer life. The passage comes from the New Testament book of Luke, where in Luke 18, 18, a man comes to Jesus and asks a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's an interesting question. It's not something that we often mm. get asked in the offices around the city. But <laughs> why do you think this man is coming to Jesus? I mean, I, I think, first of all, he's pretty vain. So uh, in Jewish culture, uh, wealth was equated with virtue. And so this guy's rich. He assumes that he's virtuous. He assumes that he actually has eternal life. And he kind of just wants to be patted on the back, I think. Um, yeah, he's looking for affirmation in front of everyone else. Yeah, well, it goes on. And I'm not sure if Jesus gives him the affirmation yeah, that he necessarily so. wants. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. So Jesus rattles off the Ten Commandments. Is it significant that he doesn't mention the first nor the last commandment? Well, he actually only mentions five of the ten. And so what he's, he's leaving out the last one, which is you shall not covet, and he's leaving out the first four, which are all about how we direct our lives towards God. Elsewhere in the Scriptures it says that covetousness is idolatry. So uh, this guy is rich, but he's not happy or satisfied with that. He's constantly wanting more. He's, he's actually worshipping stuff and material. Um, and that means that he's idolising that. He's idolising money, and so he's not honouring God as he should be. So what do, you, what do you mean by an idol? We might find that kind of language a little strange because we don't see little idols around the place very often. But, but um, they're in Chinese restaurants. That's places, true, yeah. yes, that's true. I guess what, uh, if you imagine uh, in other cultures or in, in ancient times where people worshipped an idol, they, they were saying, this thing, this little uh, object, uh, I'm going to, rely on this thing for my safety, for my security, for my joy, uh, and I'm going to invest my energies, my time, my money, my food even, to, to satisfy this idol because I expect that if I do that, if I worship the idol correctly, then it will give me what I want. It will give me something great. Um, so I think that we idolize money in the sense that we, we direct our lives towards this thing, assuming that it will give us something back. It, we're assuming it will give us status or security or happiness or value or sense of purpose, anything like that. Mm. So you're saying that money can actually function as an idol? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's this, this thing that we are putting our trust in, uh, imagining that it will come through for us. So do you think that this concept is what's driving our affluenza? Yeah, I think so. I think we are putting all of our trust in what we have or what we can buy with our money uh, and imagining that that will come through for us, that that'll, that'll serve us, our money will serve us. Um, and I actually don't think it does. I think we're unhappy uh, because money won't deliver for us. I mean... Well, I can just hold you on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, money does serve us, though. Mm. Like, I, I kind of... When you think mm -hmm, about this mm -hmm. topic, God versus money, you could suggest it's almost a no contest. You can't see God. He's intangible. He doesn't seem to make a difference in the yeah. world. Yet money, I mean, it's tangible. I can buy stuff. It gives a sense of purpose, worth, accomplishment, value, security... I mean, is there even a contest? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that things that you mentioned, value, purpose, security, they're actually intangible things. So I think that we pursue money because we imagine it will give us these intangible 
things, and I don't actually think it, it provides those things. And beyond that, I, I think that, uh, so, so as I said before, you, you know, we can imagine that money will give us security or a uh, sense of identity, uh, but it doesn't actually deliver on those things. People aren't necessarily happier if they've got lots of money. They actually seem to be less happy. How do you demonstrate that? Oh, just my own lack of wealth. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so many instances of people who are wealthy who are actually very unhappy. Uh, I remember... Well, we've got a quote. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. John, John Rockefeller. Rockefeller. So he was the founder of the mm. Standard Oil Company, a billionaire. I've made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Mm. And Clive Hamilton outlined the same sort of idea before. I think when he said he claimed that consumerism is ultimately empty. I mean, yeah. Is that really true? Well, I, I was reading someone else. I'm trying to remember who it was. But he was saying how there's this kind of irony and this um, folly in what we do. So so we, we seek stuff. We, we try and buy this stuff because we think it will make us satisfied. We get that stuff, but it doesn't satisfy us. So we think, okay, well, we'll get more of that thing. But if the little bit that I've had doesn't satisfy me, how will the more satisfy me? It's just not going to work we keep we keep going back to this thing imagining that the next purchase will work that the next thing will make us happy the next grade of of uh, economic viability will make us happy and we're constantly pursuing that but it never actually works I mean I remember when I was younger I used to uh, base my life on okay well it's three hundred dollars that's like 10 cds great and and then you, so you, you, CD your yeah, that, currency. that's right that's <laughs> right that was uh, my my kind of value system and then once <laughs> Once you earn some money, you're like, okay, well, if I have this much money, I'll be able to get this TV. And But there's always a questing. There's always a pursuing. There's never a, just a, a satisfied contentment, I think. So why are people not content? I think that money won't actually satisfy us. I don't think that it can provide the kind of worth or meaning or value or purpose that we're actually looking for. I actually think that we're being conned. I think that money is promising all of this stuff and doesn't actually deliver. And even beyond that, I think that money not just doesn't come through, I actually think it takes away. So you look at uh, some of the, the kind of statistics around problem gambling, for instance. So Australians spend something like $19 billion on gambling uh, a year, $12 billion purely on poker machines. A problem gambler is seen as um, someone who would spend something like $21,000 a year. They'd lose $21,000 a year. And they've calculated that the impact on that uh, one problem gambler affects maybe five or ten people. So that means that five million Australians are being affected by gambling, affected by the, the pursuit of money. That's a very high percentage. People who gamble, uh, who are problem gamblers, have a much higher rate of divorce, uh, health problems, all of that kind of stuff. So it just seems like it's actually crushing us rather than coming through for us, rather than giving us life. Well, if we go back to the passage then, Jesus gives the ruler a bit of an ultimatum. It's Mm. like a money or the box kind of thing. Uh, Verse 21 says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Mm. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So what what's Jesus actually offering here? Giving everything up for what? Yeah, I think he's offering himself. As you say, money or the box, money or God. He's giving him the choice. Either worship money or worship me. Uh, so Jesus is saying, you're, you're pursuing money because you think this will give you a, a great life. And he's saying, well, I don't think it will. If you follow me, though, I reckon I can deliver. How is Jesus better than money? Yeah, well, I, I think he offers the kind of uh, intangibles that are fulfilling and real. 
that we seek in other things, I think he can actually deliver them. For instance, he says, uh, let's take an example, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. I think there is a, a very real sense in which when we unload some of our possessions, some of our stuff, we actually feel better. We feel lighter. Has that ever um, happened to you? Yeah. So um, every time I move house, we've got this massive big IKEA bookshelf. It's like 25 cubes of, of book laden joy. <laughs> <laughs> and it is literally heavy. And uh, half of those, not 90% of those books, I never look at. And so there is this sense in which every time I move house, I've moved four times in the last five years, I have to carry these possessions. And it's actually weighing me down. And when I get rid of some of them, it's like, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't need that. I actually feel lighter. There's less stuff to stress about. There's less worry that someone will break into your house and steal your cricket magazines. Yeah, you don't think that... <laughs> <laughs> but you don't think that you're saving money on a gym membership, perhaps, by moving, moving them around? That's right. Yeah. Well, as you can see... Well, you probably can't <laughs> see it on radio, <laughs> but uh, clearly I moved the bookshop. <laughs> That's right. You uh, definitely have a... a not a, enough. A, a, a figure for radio, definitely. <laughs> So is Jesus then saying that you can buy a relationship with him by just giving away your stuff? Okay, then, then you can have a relationship with him? Mm, I think a lot of people imagine that. But uh, really, the Bible is very clear that we can't buy salvation. We can't earn salvation. There is this gap between God and us uh, created by our sin, by, by our misuse of funds, for instance, by our selfishness, by our consumerism. Yeah, consumerism is all about me, uh, even even the words. It's, it's about... I'm the consumer. My life revolves around me and I consume this thing. I have this stuff and I make it for myself. That's sin. Um, and we can't just kind of buy that back. We can't redeem that ourselves. We need someone else to do that and Jesus offers to do that. He, he comes and he pays for our mistakes. He pays for our sin and so that we can have that relationship with God. So he's not saying that we can buy our salvation. He knows that that's not possible. But what he is saying is um, if you want to have me then you have to get rid of everything else that's in the way of me. Jesus says, either choose God or money. If you want me, then I don't want anything in between us. I don't want the money to get in the way. I want you to, to come to me and to follow me. Mm. Is Jesus really saying that we have to give away everything mm. to follow him? Yeah, he, he may be. Um, sometimes I think he does ask that of people. I don't think he always does. Uh, there's a story just in the very next chapter where there's another rich man, a guy called Zacchaeus, uh, who encounters God's grace and he's inspired by that and he gives up you know, a lot of what he has, maybe half or more of what he has and God is clearly happy with that. He doesn't expect him to give more. I think in this particular situation with this bloke, he's saying uh, it's a little bit like an alcoholic. Uh, if you ask an alcoholic to, to give up that thing that is destroying them, you can't say, well, just have a little bit. You have to get rid of all of it. And I think that this guy was so addicted to money, so consumed by money that he couldn't have any of it. So I think if we're totally consumed by money, then Jesus might say, right, give it all up. Is Jesus being a bit of an egomaniac though? How do you mean? So well, just me or everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Like, who does Jesus think he is? Yeah, well, I think he thinks he's the Lord uh, <laughs> who uh, is God who wants us to have true fulfilment true happiness. God made us. God made us for him. And so he knows that we'll actually find happiness once we go to him. Once we live with him, we'll find our purpose, our meaning. So Jesus can say, yep, God or money, I'm going to win. I'm, get, I'm, I'm better. I'll actually come through for you. Well, then so Jesus has presented this ultimatum. And then we see the choice that the man makes in uh, Luke 18. He says, when he heard this, he, the man, became very sad yeah. because he was very wealthy. Yeah. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. 
So he didn't follow Jesus. Why, why was that? He couldn't give it up. He, he couldn't imagine that Jesus was going to be better than what he was serving. Now, that's just a real tragedy. That Those words are just so tragic because you know that he's not going to be truly happy. We know that. We, we see around us, we experience it ourselves, that, that money doesn't actually give us what it promises. And this guy chose money. And so his, his joy will just uh, evaporate. Uh, there's a real tragedy there. So how then for people here can we tell if money is an idol? Yeah. I think the first thing would be uh, what do you, what, how do you feel when you uh, are called to give something away? Uh, are the things that you're holding onto, the stuff or the money, if that was taken away from you suddenly, would you be crushed? I think... Um, there's a natural sense in which we're going to grieve some of those things because we're attached to them. But there's also a sense in which, well, why are we so attached to this stuff? It didn't give us the true security that we were looking for. It's gone. It's vanished. Um, why, was it really worth it? I think the other thing I would say is um, Jesus elsewhere says that where your money is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is um, what do you spend your money on? That really reveals what you find important. That, that reveals what's important to you. So if I have some money on a certain company on the stock exchange, I'm going to watch that company because I, my heart is invested in that thing. So Jesus is saying, what do you spend your money on? What is your heart invested in? And is it the best thing to be invested in? Mm. I suppose if you buy a house, then you spend all your time mm. thinking about renovations yeah. the house itself. Yeah, that's right. Any questions from the audience? It looks all right for someone to acquire riches for heaven, but at the same time, it doesn't look all right for him to acquire riches on earth. Doesn't that look like an inconsistency? Mm, that's, a, that's an awesome question. So I think there is a different sense in which uh, the riches that Jesus is offering in heaven, I don't think they are monetary. I think uh, elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about the riches of heaven being the joy of having uh, other people with you in heaven. So the, the Christian life is saying, right, I'm going to use my money to achieve something great. I'm going to use my money to tell other people about Jesus, to, give, to, to help them discover life and joy and, and fulfillment and purpose. And that when I see them in heaven next to me, that is the riches that I get to experience. I get to see them with me. I get to know that they're going to be happy. Um, so it's actually a very altruistic kind of thing where, where I'm, I'm actually uh, wanting people to share God's joy. Actually, one of the, one of the, the people who wrote the stories of Jesus, uh, John, he says, I'm writing this stuff so that we can complete our joy. I want you to share in my joy. Um, so I think that's the kind of riches that he's talking about that are, are everlasting. And does that make it hard, therefore, in our culture, which is so consumerist, mm. to do that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we, um, we just find it hard to imagine that life without lots of stuff is going to be the best. But, I mean, we even say to ourselves, it's more blessed to give than receive. And we actually do feel that. Uh, it doesn't matter what present someone gives me, it's not exactly what I wanted. You know, it's not a Ferrari. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but... Any so present. Note to wife. Is yeah. that, is that, is that <laughs> out there for this thing? It's right. Yeah. yeah. Christmas present idea. It's, it's not a complete book of fonts. Um, but, <laughs> but whenever I give my son something, mate, even the box, they're, they're thrilled by the box. I get this incredible joy. So we actually know that giving is better than receiving. We actually feel that. We know that. Um, we need more imagination. I think we, uh, are, we imagine that we're going to be satisfied with what we have. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I, I can give you more. I can give you something better. 
even better than a $880,000 iPhone case. Just a little bit better, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. I mean, Jesus was like, Phew, that's, that's a tough one, but I yeah. think I could do that. <laughs> it's all well and good to say, okay, I don't want to make money an idol in my life, but there's also a sense in which wealth can be deceptive. So I mm. used to work with a guy who said, oh, I'm not materialistic, as though, because that's all bad. I know that that's bad, but all I want is financial security, a house, maybe a nice house, uh, maybe by the water, a car and a boat. Mm. But I'm not materialistic. He, he did say that. Mm. I mean, is there a deception, self-deception perhaps in, yeah. in wealth? Absolutely. I think particularly in our culture where we have so much, there's 3 billion people living on less than $2.50 a day. Um, we are utterly wealthy by comparison with them. Half of the world's children are living in poverty. 22,000 kids die every day because of poverty. So we are, we are blind to that. We need to uh, recognise better what we actually have. Um, and I'd, I'd say that that's actually one of the, the, the cures, so to speak, to affluenza. Actually, be thankful. Um, I, I, um, you know, why don't we go home today and, and just look around our house and think, wow, I, I had the money, I've earned the money or someone given me this opportunity so that I can get all of this stuff. You know, this is comfortable. I, I should I should rejoice in the comfort that I experience, and I think that that actually makes us a lot more um, happy when we're thankful. And it could even give some of it away. Whoa! Yes. <laughs> no, I think I think that's true. I, th- I think when we give it away, we're always we're always happier when we give it away. Uh, a question has just come in: Can you be a Christian and rich? Mm, that's an excellent question. Uh, Jesus said that um, it is harder for a rich man. It's incredibly hard for a rich man to enter heaven. I said that exactly after the passage of the look at that's the very right. next verse is it's hard, harder for a rich man to enter yeah, the kingdom than the right. camel in the eye of the needle. And so I think it's because uh, elsewhere the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, so that uh, when you love money, you, you do stupid things. You know, you, you compromise your values. You hurt other people to claim that money. You um, hold on to it selfishly. So it's very hard to, um, to be rich and to follow God, to prioritize God. I don't think it's impossible. I know a bloke, for instance, who is very wealthy and gives a ridiculous amount of money away. Um, he literally hundreds of thousands of dollars he gives away. Uh, I know other Christian people who uh, give, say, 90% plus of their wage and they live on a really simple life. The problem is not wealth. It's whether we worship God with the money or we worship the money. So it is possible to worship God with the money, and some people do that very well. So wrapping up, God versus money. I don't need you, God, because I have all this stuff. I think we all need God. Jesus is saying, I want to give you me. He's actually saying, how much joy do you want? Do you want the joy that's temporal, uh, that's actually not very satisfying? That do, do you want to invest in now or do you want to invest in later? If you invest in later, if you, if you uh, allow me to run your life, I'll give you something that's better. Better now and better later. Let me leave you with the Logos for the day. Luke 18.22 You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live. Please thank our guest today, Luke Nelson.